Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three PhDs in a Pod, a weekly podcast where we talk to PhDs and postdocs about their life, what brought them into science, and their research. With me, I have, as always, Josh. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, Yeah, thank you for clicking on the podcast to listen. This is the first episode of uh, hopefully many. We've... um, recorded some really interesting guests and we've got some more really interesting guests coming up later in the series so yeah how how have things been with you before we start off in this unprecedented time yes well everything it's everything's fine i'm safe um with, with my girlfriend at the moment so everything everything between us is fine um but Good, yes. all... no 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 um no fallouts yes yeah. no no fallouts we're both still alive from a multitude of reasons um <laughs> But, uh, food, water, sustenance, food, that kind of thing. Food, water, cooperation, uh, just general working together. <laughs> um, also, no, no paranoia, which is another good thing. Um, that is good. Yeah, it is good when you're trapped. Um, but no, we've um, we've we've been, we're doing okay. I've been doing a lot of reading. Like, yes. Cool. What have you read? I've read. I've read june i've read a game of thrones book which is basically two dunes uh <laughs> so no. pages or isn't stories uh pages, pages pages oh right okay okay yes yes yeah, story june isn't... So i was gonna say june june looks huge but you you we were talking about it the other day and it's only like 400 or 500 pages yeah well it, it looks huge i said it looks huge and then when you start reading it it feels huge by the fact there is so much that the book has to tell you before you yeah. even get started. Um, but then once the plot gets going, it really picks up. So that's, it was actually one of the, one of the better reading experiences of my life, I would say. Um, and also just due to the fact that it's a classic and I haven't read it yet, that was actually really exciting. And the fact that I still found the book to be exciting and different is a testament to the book itself, yeah. I feel. I definitely feel that. Yeah, I think yeah. with classics, you give them a lot more leeway. If lots of people have said this is an amazing book, you'll give yeah. it a lot more chance than you would with another book, I find. Yeah, well, I find, I find that when someone, tells me, um, when someone tells me this is a classic book, you should definitely read it. A little part of me goes, yeah, but I've probably read something like it. You know, considering if it is so influential, it probably is all similar to a lot of stuff that I already like. But June still manages to create carve its own path i find and yeah, that's, well, it, was, it was the og it was it truly was but the the fact that you know it's not like uh like have you ever read john carter i have not read john carter john carter is um for me even it's it's very generic you know you can't yeah. it's it's kind of you know it's it is more baseline sci-fi and that you've seen it before whereas yeah, it June, kind of it defines the genre so much that it becomes a stereotype and exactly. so it no longer but it ruins its fun exactly and that's why i was worried about reading june, june. Yeah. um but no june june was fantastic and um yeah i really enjoyed it and apart from like reading i've been you know also thesis writing which is oh, don't the, speak those words it's the fun <laughs> part jack it's so much fun oh it's great <laughs> spending days on writing a few sentences yeah. and then making two figures if you can in a week yeah um and then, and then and then you give it to your supervisor and then he goes those sentences are rubbish i'll change them for you and you're like oh okay that's fine <laughs> or, or or even worse you just get back at the river of red that seems like someone's took a knife to your report and made yes. it bleed yes it was like your reports in a and e but uh, <laughs> well no um apart from apart from that everything's been been going okay been going okay I haven't, I haven't i feel like i've had enough stuff to do i haven't felt hugely bored um, so yeah, that's yeah. a positive. Um, oh. But I'm, I'm guessing it's, I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm in a much better position than a lot of other people out there. I'm not only on my own, for instance. Yeah. You know, I feel I should say for anyone listening after the fact, this this uh, podcast was recorded in the height of the coronavirus epidemic. Yeah, if you didn't get the slight hint of that, you know, just. <laughs> Well, well, it's nice to explain. There could <laughs> yes. be people ten years down the line like, oh, what's this about? <laughs> but 
okay okay it's good it's good to hear that you've been getting on well it's yeah. um it's a tough time but i think yeah surrounding yourself with well not physically surrounding yourself but uh through through distance and through social distancing surrounding yourself with your friends is is useful i know we've played board games across yes. zoom yes, which we've... has been been the biggest winner you know, uh, last, without that... wanting to do down the crisis but no but i think i feel like zoom that's that's this is the best time to have a lockdown because you can still socialize even if yeah. you are self-isolating so it's mm. there is there are still options for you which is good which and uh and zoom has made i i'm suspicious of zoom uh and the fact that it's so many people have it and we all started hearing about it when coronavirus happened so you know do you think it's the 5g zoom zoom is owned by whoever owns 5g and coronavirus obviously so that there's there's you know you know i might be getting a bit joe rogan but no i'm not i'm not but um you know (laughs) well yeah zoom makes me suspicious even though we're using it right now (gasps) oh my goodness what has it come to um (laughs) enough conspiracy theories yes i know We'll, yeah, we'll leave them for the podcast. Um, leave leave them for a, for a, yes for this <laughs> podcast. I think we talk about them in detail. No, um, <laughs> but yeah. So this is the 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 first guest that we have is Quentin Arthur Putrell. Apologies to friends li- listeners to from butchering his name, uh, <laughs> but I refuse to put on a faux French accent. Um, and rightfully so. Yeah, I think so. Too. <laughs> So yeah, so Quentin is a, a kind of dear friend of ours. He's um, he's also a very funny man, uh, and he does some very interesting science. So kind of the triple threat for coming on this podcast. Yeah, he can sing, um, he can dance, he can act. <laughs> I've never actually heard him sing. No, neither have I. Neither have I. I have, however, seen his um, scars from when he fell off his motorbike. So that was um, swings and roundabouts, you know. <laughs> some things go, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Quentin, he's a final year PhD student, uh, similar to us, looking into the chemistry of vitrimers um, to develop eco-friendly composites for high polymer performance. Mm-hmm. So he does, I think, if I remember rightly, go into what vitrimers are. Yes. And, um, you know, for eco-friendly high performance, polymers always good. Yeah, not always a good, always a good area of research. It's very important yeah. that we continue, continue in that line of work. Always, always so, got to be eco-friendly. So yeah, also a noble, a noble project as well. Which a, is noble a noble cause, Josh. A noble yes. cause, exactly. So yeah, we, we, we hope you enjoy and um, catch you next week. Today we have uh, Quentin Arthur Putrell. I never know if you like to say his middle name or not. So Quentin, can you give us a little intro to who you are and why we've invited you here? So hello, so I'm Quentin Arthur Putrell. So that's not my middle name, actually. That's my real full name. My apologies. Um, no worries. Um, I'm actually doing a PhD at the School of Material for the University of Manchester. And I do work in polymer science to develop like new high performance polymer with cross-cable capability. Uh, <clears throat> initially, I did a master in fundamental physics, nanoparticle, nanophysics, and I progressively went onto graphene composite, and that's how I ended up doing polymer science after. Cool. Very good. So. Um... It's kind of a start. You said, you know, you've obviously come from France. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this will be from the UK or, you know, uh, somewhere close. So what is, they'll, they'll know the scientific scene in the UK, what science is like maybe, or have an idea. So is there any difference, do you think, between science in the UK and science in France? So you have a huge difference in the way academia is managed between UK and France, actually. Um, so in UK, you all know that probably, but you have a lot of companies which are funding PhD or courses, and you have a lot of agreement with companies for research. While um, in France, you all universities are basically free, so or almost free, like you pay about 500 euro a year. Um, and all is covered by the government. So we have actually less funding 
in France for doing research, while in UK you get much higher money and much higher funding, so you have like more students. Um, there is advantage and disadvantage with this. Mainly, uh, what I noticed is when you're doing uh, academia in the UK, you have access to a lot of equipment and a lot of machine and support, um, which is obviously a great advantage. But because you have more students, actually, you have, on average, less time and less technician for the machine. Uh, while in France, usually you have less characterization or less equipment, but the equipment is much more used by uh, a lower amount of people. So, so you so kind is, of... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go, sorry, on, go on, go on. I was going to um, say, so do you think that um, people, the, like French researchers there, from, from that would be better at using specific types of machines? I think when someone is getting specialized into a machine, for example, a PhD student, is going to have much more experience on this machine then in the UK is going to develop more a wide knowledge about several machines. So he's not going to be able to spend as much time on one specific equipment, except if your PhD is really focused on one equipment. Um, so you, I haven't done my PhD in France, so I can't be sure for this. But as I did my master in France, I know that or professor, for example, especially like your supervisor, has more time to talk and help the student out uh, in the lab or to find new process, rather than in the UK where you're gonna more interact with other students because we have much more students working on the same subject and other technicians as well. So, so I wouldn't say better, but I would say more specialized on being able to uh, analyze in much more depth for one characterization technique, likely yes. That's interesting. Josh, did so, you have a question? Yeah, I was going to say, so due to the fact that you have, I was saying because you didn't do a PhD in France, yeah. um, saying in your master's year, did you was there a lot more cooperation with other students due to the fact that people would be more, would they would have more in-depth knowledge on a wider range of methods? Would yeah, there be a lot so, more cooperation in that regard? In general, we have much lower amount of students in our courses. So, for example, my master degree was, we were only, I think, 11 in our course mm -hmm. oh, wow. for, the, for the whole university wow. working on material. So, when we were doing, for example, using a scanning electron microscope or things like this, we were able to use it as a group of three with the technician and then being trained to use it alone easily during our uh, master and the access was much more easy for us. Um, and the fact was because we were a small cohort of 11 people, we did work together constantly. So of course you have some people who like group together is much better than with others, but on average we were working our exam or our experiment or our report by group of four, five, six people, and sometimes the 11 of us all together, which was really good for developing a good understanding of what we were doing. Hmm. So, so why, why are the years so small? Because obviously in, in the UK, like I, I know in my year for doing chemistry when I was doing my undergraduate, there were over 100 people. So when you are an undergraduate, it's a bit different because okay. you are with, so initially when I was passing my undergraduate, you choose between uh, math, math, physics, and a bit of biology. Uh, and then after you're gonna specialize toward physics and chemistry or just physics or just chemistry. So at the beginning, the first year, or amphitheater are filled with like 500, 600 people. Oh, wow. And then after that's the first year, second year you get to like progressively like 100 because you mix several class courses together. And then after on third year of bachelor, you get hopefully to 20, 40 by amphitheater max. And then when you get to the master, you specialize so much into one domain that you barely have any amphitheater. So it's just only courses with one teacher and 20 students max, maybe 30 if like the cohort is big. 
Okay, so that is that is more similar to I think what what we see. So I know in my first year it was similar. There were over a hundred people in like the general chemistry module, but by you got the time you got to fourth year, there were maybe twenty people in a class. Yeah, and then then after the master, for example, is getting much lower number because we have a two-year master. So the first year of master, you still are mixed with another course. So for my my example, we were doing fundamental physics and there was a nuclear on material side and some of us had like we had common courses for the first semester and then second semester we separate and we were 11 and then the second year of master it was 11 of us alone okay cool so we've kind of chatted a bit about obviously what the science is like in france in terms of kind of going through the university but we've kind of missed a step here so yeah. for like you why did you go to university? Why did you f do physics? Why did you go to the university that you went to? Uh, so that's a funny uh, view because now I'm doing a PhD, but initially I, after my uh, A-level, I was, uh, I had like really good mark. We thought like honestly not doing that much work. And I really, I, I always liked uh, science, math, physics, mm. because I'm someone really logical and Cartesian. So I like the logic behind it. Um, and university was free and I'm coming from a low income background. So it was kind of a nice uh, option for me. I did apply for an engineering school, which in France is basically the equivalent of some university here. Mm. Um, but I didn't get a place there. So I went to university because I, to be honest, I didn't know what to do with my life. And I was like, I like physics, I like math. Why not continue into it on no more? And then little by little, basically, I started to look into what I could do after a bachelor. And there was not really choice, which was like attracting me. Yeah. Um, I did my master and it's really during the master, actually, that I realized that I really liked what I was doing. The internship uh, in academia made me realize that I prefer to do that rather than a normal job. Um, and that's how I ended up to Manchester after as well. So, yeah. Oh, so was it through that internship that you kind uh, of ended up in Manchester? So, I I did my my bachelor uh, actually in five years instead of three because I was working to get some money on the side to be able to pay mm. some food and everything uh, rent out. Mm -hmm. um, and then after, when I got to my master, I was really rubbish in English. So I asked my, uh, the director of my master to be, oh, um, I want to improve my English because I know it's important for my job and even like for my personal life, it's like a really good skill to have now. Um, do you have any contacts uh, for me to go do my internship uh, in UK? So I contacted Dr. Mathieu Grezil, which was like uh, an old student from my course as well like he, <laughs> he passed i think he graduated from his phd in 2009 where was the time when i was passing my a level um and then he basically we worked together my internship was supposed to be a month and a half the learning English in a month and a half is not enough so i stayed four months <laughs> um and we kind of bonded together on the way of working and personal um, viewpoint as well and he asked me to come back for my second year of master for the internship. So I came back six months and then he found my PhD and I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. nice. No, it's nice. It's <laughs> nice that kind of thing. Cause you were saying like, you know, you came from low income background, you did the internship to get money. So it must've been really nice to do that and kind of make a connection, which then led to further employment basically, because mm -hmm. PhDs are a form of a job, even though they're training. Yeah, I think, I think which is really important, like I got really lucky to meet someone which like supervising me, but as well, so some quality in me. Um, because even if you, what people don't really realize when they go to university and they do their degree, you can, you, we are all like after three years of bachelor and a year or two of master, we all have qualification. Um, and what's going to determine often if you find a PhD you like 
is did you meet people and did you develop a network which like people know you a bit and that's really important to have some contact um, and the advantage of academia compared to other um, domain or field as I said like I'm coming from a low income background if I was doing for example I don't know a business school and I did or a law school and I didn't have uh, the network to find a really good internship. Uh, I don't think I would have ended up doing a PhD, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> because this domain, like law or business, can be really competitive, and usually, if you want a high uh, recognition internship, you need to go to like a company which are really, how, how can I say that? Uh, Prestigious? Yeah, prestigious and yeah. Israeli. If you don't have a contact to get in, it's going to yeah, be extremely uh, yeah, that's, that's more of a it's a it's a who you know basis. Exactly, on, uh, how you get I, into those kinds of places. Yeah, I, and yeah. I'd say that's that's academia is a, uh, very much like that as well, though, because you know it's, it's what's the easiest way to get a job or get a thing anywhere as well. My dad knows this guy, or my mum works with this person. Yeah, I think it, it does work like this to some extent. But the advantage is because when you do academia, you have some internship. You're gonna work with professor, hmm. and if if they like you. Is he still gonna want you to have a project? Because um, I remember one of my teachers was telling me in my master is like, we're not looking for the necessarily the best candidate with the highest grade, because you have some people which are really um, scholar, but when you put them alone in a PhD in a lab, they don't know what to do for at least six months a year, mm. while some people which are average they have good independence or they are motivated or they like what they do then these people are much more interesting because you put them in the lab and they're gonna try things and maybe it's not gonna work but maybe it's gonna work at least they try and they're curious about what they do yeah, i know um when i was doing my third year so i did a similar kind of internship thing they they were saying when we came back or before we did it actually the professors uh, and academics enjoy having the students who've done an internship because they've been working nine to five and so they're they're used to that work ethic so it's like yeah. slightly different but it's the the kind of uh, yeah. as well as... I, I think yeah you you get because the problem when you're a student and you do internship you don't have the notion of a company where you are supposed to work nine to five you kind mm. of like if I don't have a course, I can wake up at 10, like, <laughs> and me, like, or like things like this. Of course, with the coronavirus this day, like, I'm not saying that I'm perfect on my waking up time. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, me neither. Me neither. Uh, I'll have you know I, I was up at 7 o'clock today. I was, sure up was... Six, I was up at 6.30. I was up at oh. 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you did. You did. You, we did. You did. Put, uh, someone did put some food on uh, a picture of some food on a WhatsApp group that we were in, and uh, uh, what was it? Twelve thirty, and you texting. Oh, is that your breakfast? I was like, oh, Josh has just woken up. <laughs> yeah, I think people are gonna get different even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is where this is where people are falling into their true like sleep cycles. So this is yeah. this is my I true think... sleep cycle. I remember sleeping eight hour a night since like the beginning, and it's great on my life. Like I feel I much better now. Yeah. One of my friends told me that they they knew someone in their house who during their exam period of their fourth year they just decided to uh, sleep when they needed to. So they'd sleep, then when they woke up, they woke up, and they'd carry on going until they were sleepy again. Then they go yeah. to sleep. That's kind yeah, of what lions do. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's what a lot of animals do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. especially cats. Was, yes. your, uh, oh, yeah. was your flatmate a cat? Um, <laughs> now you mention it. It's very furry. I no, can, um, I, yeah, I can tell you. Was cat? But yeah, no, I think like, yeah, we, we get through a rhythm when you're a student and <laughs> people which are doing internship are actually getting used to a certain rigor, you know, like way of mm. working. It's like, even when you don't have anything as well, like, because when you get to start your experiment, sometimes is you, I think one of the main expectations students have when they start an internship is, oh, my supervisor or the PhD, which is helping supervising me, knows everything about what I'm going to do. 
when you do research, we need to be honest and just say like, no, we absolutely have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, and I'm we have very guilty of that. Of, yeah. not, and, of, of like pretending that I know a lot more than I do. I mean, it's it's fine to use your knowledge because you're going to know more by experience than a first year student, and your supervisor is going to know more of what is likely to happen. Mm. But at some point, you have no idea, and that's the concept of doing research. So there is no point of doing research if you're already doing the resume. There's more of a in an internship, the work that you do has more of a strict goal, whereas in research, it's more of an open question. Yeah, what can yeah. you find as opposed yeah. to find this? Yeah. In, in, in theory, any good research project should raise more questions than you answer to. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard for some students which haven't done an internship to realize that when they start another internship or PhD. Mm. I, I still remember as well, I had the so I, I managed, co-supervised like several masters during my PhD. And the first one I got during my first year <clears throat> were three French students. So fortunately, we could discuss a bit better than in English. Um, and after the first month, I was seeing them like a bit annoyed with me and I didn't really understand why. <laughs> um, and a month later, I was discussing with like uh, the... Uh, one of the, uh, the free students and he was telling me like now we had a moment because when we arrived we thought you knew everything and you would know that what you were doing and then after we realized that uh, you and your supervisor had no idea of what you were doing uh, <laughs> and i was like right that's a bit harsh but yeah that's normal you could formulate that differently but okay um and he say like but then after we realized yeah we met uh we're doing a, a new research project, which is really innovative. Um, so uh, once we passed the feeling of like, we thought you knew everything and we realized you didn't know anything, now we understand what you are doing and why you are doing it like this. Mm. It, it took them two months to get there. Yeah. I, like, I like how it's either you know everything or you know nothing. <laughs> that's, not, that's, like, that's not how things really work. Um, well, I suppose if you're, a, if you're a young person, like I, I know that's, that's, that's one of the things you struggle with, like Quentin was saying, is you assume everyone superior from you knows yes. everything. Like you go through that stage as a kid where you think your dad or your mum knows everything and it can't possibly be something they don't know. Then you realise yeah. that's not true. Yeah. And then you think all your teachers know everything. Then you realise that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the last hope is that professors know what they're talking about. Because all, all you really want to be is led somewhere. Yeah. You know? And yeah. if the person leading you is like, I don't know where the hell to go. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's yeah. like... But- well, no, <laughs> crap. That's, that's a good point, actually, because I was going to ask Quentin because, like, talking about um, a level, the A levels that you chose, it sounds like very much it was just like you know what you were good at, what you a mixture between what you were good at and what you enjoyed. So you kind of fell into those, and then from going into university, it was kind of well, you fell into that because you just kind of enjoyed doing physics, didn't really know what else to do, and then yeah. you kind of got your internship you kind of fell into that because the professor that you were talking to was like i'll do this internship because well to be fair you did you you know you said i want to go to the uk but you kind of fell into that and then your your phd again you fell into that because of the internship so it's it it sounds a lot like there was not much you know you didn't have a plan from day one of a levels this is what i'm going to do i never had a plan in my life and everything rolls out kind of well for me so i'm not gonna complain for this. <laughs> um so i'm someone i'm someone as well who thinks like you can imagine yourself like, doing a high phd in the best university in the uk and then actually being really disappointed when you get there because it's not as good as you expected and some people might regard only the prestige getting from the university's work or the phd they would get but i'm more interested in doing something i like so, so I don't, I'm, I'm lucky to be in the University of Manchester, which is one of the best in the world. But it's not my goal to get there because that's one of the best. It's like I want to work with people on a topic which I like, um, rather than getting a lot of prestige from what I do. Mm-hmm. So you, you said people might move to the university and move to a university and be surprised and then think it's not good enough. What do you mean by that? I think. Uh, with the ranking system, people are all, always looking at, oh, 
I need to get to this university to get a good degree and get a good job. So the reality is not like this, is you can be in the worst place in the world and still do a great job. Like if you compare like some university in Spain, they are not ranked really high, but they do really good research with a few funding they have. Yeah. And re researchers are still recognized really well. And you have some people which work in big university, which are like doing research, which is not that interesting, at least to me. Uh, you have like, uh, I don't know if you remember, there is a paper who came out like recently, can we put any crap in graphing to dope uh, is a magnetic yeah. effect. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of that. Some people, when you get to like high prestige university, you need to do like, a lot of publication, but they are not necessarily like the best one. Mm. Yeah, they do extremely good work, but you have a certain amount of percentage, which is, it doesn't matter like where you are, what counts is like what you do. Yeah. And then after you're gonna get the reconnaissance for what you are doing, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know there was, I um, think, yeah. sorry, I was just gonna say, uh, there, there's, a, there's a professor that I know, um, and he basically had his whole career and he was quite happy because he had industry, he had industry connections so that he could get PhD funding for PhDs. But all the papers he published in were not the highest impact factor for, I think for him, it was more about here's a PhD, here's some funding, let's do some work. I don't really mind where I publish. And, yeah. the, the, and, the, and he, he got an award for his a lifetime achievement award for the work that he did. Well, yeah, cause in the end, the, the journal it ends up in, doesn't have a huge factor because if it's good work it'll get recognized yeah that's the point is that you oh. can have like your most cited paper in a really small journal the impact factor is the impact factor for like some uh like for example for nature you can have a high impact factor but you have some paper into it which are never cited well maybe not never but barely cited mm -hmm. what makes the difference is like on average you have one paper which is going to be cited a dozen times within the year and some other papers are going to be cited two times. It's the quality of the work still differentiate, and if it's interesting as well for the period of time we are at. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whether so, it's fashionable what, or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that matters a lot. Yeah. yeah. So if, if I could just uh, draw it back, just, just for anyone listening who doesn't know, what is impact factor? So the impact factor of a journal, if I, if I get it wrong, like it's better to not show that in the podcast. Um, <laughs> That's a very, uh, very good point. Oh, this is, this is definitely being left in regardless. Um, There'll be an addendum, but I'm leaving this in whatever you say. But this, is much, this is like, it's like, yeah, a friend of mine has an issue. It's, it's the question that you <laughs> yeah. ask. A friend of mine has like a rash somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I, I think actually you're not replying your question because you want me to do the mistake because you don't even know the answer. But that's fine. No, no, I know, uh, I know the answer, but I'm just, I just, you know, you, you, you answer this one. So the Googling impact factor now. is the <laughs> average, average citation per paper from the journal. So, for example, if you have an average uh, of like four, that means like the whole paper uh, within a year of the of them getting out are gonna get an average of four references. So you can have a paper which has eight and another paper which has zero, but that still make an average of four. Mm -hmm. But basically, basically, when I ask that question, I just, impact factor is that it's not the best measure and I'm sure you can find a lot of people talking about it, a lot of different places. It's not the best measure, but it is a measure of how impactful uh, paper is so if it has a high impact factor it means lots of people are referencing it which is linked to people lots of people reading it that's that's yeah. all i was yeah. trying to get to yeah, that, that's in the end what you want to track you want to track yeah. how the information is interacting with the wider you want to track how successful people are effectively yes. is, is what it's used as a measure of uh, that's, rightly that's or wrongly we, that's all we are wrong in research even if it's not perfectly accurate mm -hmm. so the scientist community works on the impact factor because if you have high impact factor journal paper, which is cited a lot of times, that means people recognize and are agreeing with your work. Well, disagreeing, but you use it still. Yeah, I, I remember speaking to my supervisor and I, I said, well, you know, we could, we could look into this particular thing. And he said, yeah, that would be a very controversial topic. He said, but that's not a bad thing because if you put something controversial out there, you'll get lots of references. Yeah. Well, it's a cynical uh, way of looking at things. It is but... kind of cynical because controversial thing that you're saying could be wrong. 
but um, I know, but that's I suppose that that links back then to pop culture. That's you know yes. what what is what is Twitter if not uh, uh, an outlet for controversial opinions which people can uh, re- retweet and uh, agree and disagree with and have no repercussion. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a media to give some people a a, some, a feeling of existence as well. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. and that I think that's that's one of the if 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 we're going to you know talk about it a little bit, I think that's one of the negative things about impact factor is. It, a lot of people live their lives on what's my impact factor how can i improve it how can i you know make it better get better citations when like you say um a lot of the things that are important is am i enjoying where i'm working am i enjoying what i'm doing yeah. is the research interesting is it valuable as well like you need to realize that the impact factor for some like if you do fundamental research you're gonna go for high the highest impact journal factor for example is nature and they do really edge topic, like new discovery, which might revolution the world or might not, but it's like a, a big understanding of something fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you get, if you work on fundamental physics, fundamental chemistry, you can get high paper, like high impact journal paper. But for example, the lab I work in, uh, in so I'm doing polymer chemistry, and I'm aiming at impact factor around like seven, eight. The most of people in my lab work on composite, carbon fiber composite. And the highest impact factor of carbon fiber composite is usually around three, four. The people really successful in this field don't have many publications in a journal higher than four or five as an impact factor, but they are the top of their field inside composite so if you work in composite or if you work in fundamental chemistry your impact factor is going to be your h index is going to be much more different but that doesn't mean you are better uh researchers than the other one it's just you work in a different domain or field mm. yeah, yeah and that and that domain has a different visibility yeah know, because within the because actual, if, within if the you actual, do com- yeah. If you do composite, it's really interesting and it's using high performance application like in mm-hmm. airplane, boats, uh, F1 car, but that's not gonna impact, for example, electronic, not that much. You're not gonna make a computer out of like carbon fiber, except yeah. if you're really rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Pointlessly if, rich. If you, work, if you work on new transistor to improve like the speed or the size of like your computer, mm-hmm. you're gonna get much more researchers working on this than on composite. So yeah. you're gonna make much more. You, if you look only at the number, you're gonna be more successful. But actually, you are not. It's just you work in a different domain. Yeah, and that's also so, due to the fact that it affects more people as well. Yeah. Like carbon yeah. fiber genuinely affects less of the general public than yeah. than what you just said, transistors. That's, yeah. yeah. Right. So, kind of, I think we've covered a lot of work-based things. I'm just yeah. gonna pose a question uh that's slightly different so this is going to sound like a cv interview question what do you enjoy doing outside of work quentin Ooh. um bef- before the the covid19 or after <laughs> obviously unique situations but i, mean, I just mean generally like because we've talked about a lot about maybe not about your science but science in general and kind of how you've worked your way through kind of a levels university uh, and then through to your PhD, but like you know, what what, what do you enjoy? What makes you tick? Um, I so I'm not doing this a lot in UK, but I'm uh, I, I'm doing motorbike. Basically, I'm riding a motorbike, and that's kind of what I like to do in Italy. Like on the weekend, I like to go for like a ride with my friends, stopping for a beer in a bar, not more than one, because we are driving after, of course. Um, otherwise. Any kind of event, we do sometimes outreach, outreach, which I really enjoy. <clears throat> but mainly, I'm not gonna lie. Generally, I'm just going to the pub with you <laughs> and Josh as well uh, to talk about on being depressed about our PhD as much as we can. Uh, now, I think I think the thing is like it's I have basics uh, thing I like like doing sport drinking with friends, going to a gig. But the problem of doing a PhD as well is taking a huge toll on your life. Yeah. So you can't really develop side thing. If you ask me after my PhD or before my PhD, I like to go like on treks. I like to go walk in the forest. I like to go on the beach. 
Um, <clears throat> these are all very doing sport events. Th- these are all very very social things. Do you think? Oh, yeah. So, one of the, one uh, of the... No, I'm a gamer too. I can geek on my computer for a long time, but right now I'm sick of it, so I don't want to think about it. Fair, but even even then, when I've seen you playing games, it's games with people. So you seem like yeah. a very very social creature. Do you think that's a benefit to a PhD? Because I know a lot of people outside of PhDs consider might look at scientists and think they're very solitary creatures who don't have social skills. But one of the things I've noticed is talking to people is one of the best ways of getting things done. So do you think that, that all of those things that you enjoy being social helps or hinders? Because I, for me, it helps because I'm going to much more likely to be interacting with people which can help me during my uh, PhD or actually like sometimes they're going to ask my help and I'm going to learn about their subject. And I'm going to be like developing more knowledge and like being more aware of what's going on. And maybe this is going to give me idea. So I think the idea of the scientist, which is a bit like solitary, is true in some cases. I, I know properly like scientists which love to be on their computer, don't like social interaction, and they are really good. But they are good in more in fundamental or specific experiments. The important thing is like when you have an experimental PhD, it's really important to communicate. It's people don't understand that being social is what I was saying about making network. I wouldn't find my PhD without this. And I don't think I would have been able to get this amount of results if I wasn't a bit social. Yeah. Uh, You need to have a communication either with people within science, but sometimes outside science. A lot of my friends are doing design um, or advertising. And sometimes when I'm talking about what I do, it's like, yeah, but why you don't try to talk about this like this? Why you don't show the data like this? And it's just like, uh, it doesn't make sense. But yeah, you, they are specialized in passing a message while we are not. So is, there is good input to take from everywhere. Well, I think another, like, people generally think of scientists as, you know, shut-ins, you know, don't really talk to many people. Um, but in I've known a lot of scientists who are, you know, very curious people. And yeah. the way you gain a lot of information is through talking to people who know. So it's yeah. somewhat contradictory. Um, like, that's, because that's another stereotype, is that scientists are very curious and we like to learn things. And you like to learn things through one of those avenues is through talking so yeah and one of the things i say to like kids when we're doing outreach is do you like to question what goes on do you say why does that work well you're a scientist that's all it takes yeah 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 Yeah. and then just years of training after that um those are kind of key aren't they but but no kids no kids listen that's all it takes (laughs) that's all it takes i I think as well the idea the idea behind the scientist being a bit solitary is because you have a social awkwardness Mm -hmm. with the way of thinking because you are curious and if we talk about art science, like mathematics, physics, or whatever, you have generally a view of things, which is quite square, fair and square. So regarding emotion, you're not necessarily really good with it. And when you do a PhD, and like even your master, you develop this social skill much better because you are surrounded by people like you, so that gives you some confidence. Yeah. And then yeah. after, you can interact much easier with the rest of the world because you actually got this self-confidence of like, yeah, maybe I'm seeing, I'm writing like this, but that's not weird. It's actually who I am and that's what I like and I want to understand things. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you might have a social awareness when you are like up to 15, but then after like, you, you just grow out of it and you know that that's what you like and that doesn't make you someone weird. It just, you don't react to what yeah. and everyone else. Yeah, you seem less and less weird to yourself and also less and less weird to people around you due to the fact you're becoming more similar the more yeah. you go into your career. I more think, you, go I think you, just, career. you just behave more like yourself and that's yeah. the only problem. But that's something you can relate to any young person. It's like yeah. past 15, you're well, going to start to behave more like yourself. Yeah, do you not, yeah, do you not find that um, going to university is a really important tool for that because you're, you're surrounded by people who you know start off with like the same subject as you so there's there's that in common but you are exposed to if you're on a campus university especially thousands of students 
like hundreds of organizations you can you can find what you like and surround yourself with people yeah i think, who are I like think you and you you find out like you said that you're that, not weird yeah you're not alone and i think yeah. that's a huge point is like when you are in high school you get maybe like 30 60 people and then the year below or above you and then what define you as weird is like as a minority and you can find maybe a couple of friends like you but not necessarily you have some people which have a really hard time during high school because they feel alone and especially when you're from the countryside and you get like 600 students in the whole high school but then once you get to university i was seeing like something i saw something which was making me a kind of smile but at the time but now i i think i like it is you see people which have friends already so in my high school, I had like a couple of friends, but most of my friends went from my neighborhood, so I didn't really mind to not bond with people at my high school. Yeah. Um, but I was seeing people which were really lonely and being bullied constantly, and they were not really confident about themselves. And then I saw them going to university, and because the university, as you said, thousands of students, you're gonna find people with the same interest as you, and as soon as you do that, well, you develop yourself and you become more confident and people don't bully you anymore because they literally like don't give a shit about who you are. Like there is a thousand students. If you have to spend, you don't have enough time to like laugh at someone or take the piece out of someone. You just, you have your friend and if you don't like someone, you can easily avoid them, um, which usually is really helpful for like your personal development. Mm. If you see what I mean, I was seeing like the people um, which uh, had a really hard time in high school. I had some of them coming to my university and I saw them doing the same kind of joke or like humor that I was doing two years before with my other friend. And I was like, oh, well, that's good because they're catching up. And then two years later, they were exactly like as me or anyone else. So it's not like an awkward thing like to take your time as well yeah i think it's good right one thing we forgot to talk about um is or like you, you mentioned a bit in, in the introduction was um the science that you do so you talked about making uh cross-linked polymers so just yeah. kind of briefly for anyone who's interested um what is your phd um about so my phd is about um, polymer material. So for the one who don't know, polymer is kind of a plastic. It's a plastic anyway, um, which is uh, called vitrimer. And the vitrimer are more have property like glass. So it's a mix between thermoplastic and thermoset. So it doesn't melt at a high temperature, but it keeps high, strong properties, mechanical corrosion resistance. And the interest of it is with application of temperature, you can reprocess them, you can heal them, you can recycle them, uh, things you couldn't do with classical thermoset before. Uh, I don't want to enter too much in the difference between thermoplastic and thermoset. If people are interested in my subject, they should know about that already. Yeah, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a link in the, the description. Yeah, so yeah, in theory, in theory, it's a plastic which is workable like glass. So at high temperature, it doesn't melt, but it can be like reshaped uh or recycled which has like huge, huge advantage for like any composite application or even like recycling of plastic later uh, if we manage to do that for a lot of plastic polymer we're gonna have much more easier time to recycle them or reuse them for different applications hmm. cool but yeah it's like i think like the thing in manchester is you have because i was saying before you have a lot of equipment you have the chance to be able to do uh, a versatile subject mm. within your PhD. Um, some people would have worked only like on the chemistry and could have done that, but that's the advantage of doing a PhD. You are your own boss. So I think I had someone who told me like doing a PhD is like developing your company for three years. But that's kind of the idea. You have a topic, but you're the master of your topic. Mm. Someone, someone else with the same topic will do a completely different subject at the end of three years. And in, 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 in that, you say, when you say master, you mean like um, you, you control what you look at yeah. as opposed yeah. to, because I know at the start, I did not know very much at all about what I do now for my PhD. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm discovering so many things still now. And I think the more I understand, the less I understand. The more you understand, yes. the less you understand. Yeah, yeah you're coming, coming across as an aged man, Quentin. <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm an aged lady with my voice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So that brings us kind of nicely onto my very last question before we wrap up. Quentin, yeah. we have heard about your life in various terms, science, your, the science that you do, how you kind of went from A-levels to degree, you did an internship that turned into a PhD, um, and you kind of moved from physics through, now you do chemistry, although you're still trying to do as much physics as possible. <laughs> so if you had to have a name if your if your life so far was made into a film or a book what would be the title of your autobiography you told me the question would be easier um... <laughs> oh, this is the only tough one come on to be, to be fair quentin i didn't know that that's what the question was going to be and i'm like huh <laughs> guy, hey josh you get thinking you get thinking i'm going to ask this you on uh, this to you one day i know from Toiré, which is my little town which is basically uh like no one knows about it. Uh, from uh, Touare to Manchester, the story of a lucky French guy. So, so from Touare to uh, Manchester, Manchester, the story of a lucky French guy. Uh, it's yeah. from Touare to Manchester, colon, the story of a lucky French guy. Sorry, from Touare to Manchester, the colon, the story of a lucky French guy. And then the sequel will be called da, 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 Two Judgment Day. Oh no! Sure, surely it's from Tuare to uh, from Tuare to Manchester Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I would have loved to say the failure or the success, but because I haven't done my PhD and I'm still really young, and yes, I'm young because I'm I'm less than thirty. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so, I can't say anything. I need to see what's going to happen to me. But right now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. That was the point of the question, is right now. But yeah, okay. Thank you very much, Quentin, for answering our questions. I'm sorry yeah, I slung yeah. a difficult one to you at the That's end. That's fine. That was, that was a good time. I had a good time, so it was fun. Good. Fantastic. Right then. Thank you very much, uh, Josh, for joining us, as always. No problem. And we'll uh, see you... Well, we'll speak to you... Well, we'll speak in your ears very <laughs> soon. Mm-hmm.